everybody. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're, it's good to share this time of fellowship and worship with each of you this morning. And we welcome you. We welcome our guests, especially today. We're glad that you're here. And hope that God will bless you in a very special way. I have a couple of my brothers are here. My much, much, much older brothers are here. Um, uh, so Mike and Rick and Susie's, Susie's around here somewhere, Mike's wife. So glad y'all are here today. Um, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets. Uh, we'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us and pass them down the aisle so others can do the same. Go ahead and take your phones and check in on social media. Let everybody know you're here. And a few announcements that I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, we will be having a uh, uh, anniversary um, committee meeting this afternoon at 445. So if you're part of that, please uh, be here this afternoon. Uh, coming up on uh, November the 24th, we'll be having our community-wide Thanksgiving service. And that will be at 7 o'clock on that Sunday evening, 24th. That's next week, isn't it? I can hardly believe that. But it will be at First Christian Church, and as we always do, we have a fellowship afterwards. So we're still looking for uh, one or two pies that uh, uh, we will provide for that fellowship. So if you could provide a pie, let me know. I would appreciate that. We will be serving lunch at uh, Salvation Army on November 30th. So if you can volunteer for that, please see Christine Cornelius. And uh, as you see in our bulletin, we will be ordering poinsettias uh, for Christmas. You can order in honor of someone or in memory of someone. I think there are some sheets on the table that you can use to uh, uh, to order those. And so uh, get those, and we need to have those in by the 27th. By the 27th. And, uh, and also we are looking for some pictures. If you have some old pictures uh, of the history of our church, we're, we're planning our celebration uh, of our 25th anniversary. And if you have some pictures you can share, please bring them by the church office, and we would appreciate that. We have a lot going on, and buckle your seatbelts, folks. Uh, this is just getting started. So uh, let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord and share the love of Christ with one another.
Let us pray together. Oh God, creator and sustainer, we come into your presence with gladness in our hearts. We thank you for your unending, unconditional love for each of your children. And even though this world has been gripped by trouble almost since the beginning of time, and even though life for many has been short and tormented, you have given us a vision of a day beyond these hardships, a day when the heavens and the earth will be new again. A day when the sound of weeping will give way to laughter. A time when all creation will live in peace and people will enjoy the fruits of their labor. Help us, O oh God, to hold on to that vision when the temples are falling down around us, when our world is shaken. Strengthen us, O oh God, for the telling of your word and for keeping to your path so that we might not grow weary in doing what is right. As we pray for this new heaven and new earth, we are especially mindful of those who are in deep need of your peace, of your healing, of your just and generous kingdom. We pray for those who struggle day to day just to survive. We pray for those who grieve. We pray for those who struggle in their work and for those who would love to work but can't for whatever reason. And finally, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution because of their faith, for those who are deprived of their basic human rights, and for those who are deprived of their lives because of their desire to worship and serve you. Let us give thanks to the one to whom we pray, the one who heals our troubled world and grants new life not only to us, but to creation itself. Gracious God, we pray to you in the name of our brother and our friend, our Lord Jesus. Amen.
our children. Come down for our children's moment, please. Today we're going to talk about good news and bad news. Do you ever hear your mom and say, oh, that's good news? So, which do you want to do first? The good news is I have a wreck that I have
I'm going to ask that you indulge me for just a second here. Never give a politician a microphone. <laughs> First of all, I wish to take this opportunity to thank Community Baptist Church for welcoming me with open arms and just uh, filling my soul. I've known this young man for a while, but uh, thank you again for welcoming me. Second, Jika, thank you for asking me to take part in this service. And third, lastly, I happened to run into this young man and his younger brothers last night. <laughs> and he promised me he would be in before curfew. Did you make it? Uh, just in the nick of time. Uh, <laughs> and now, uh, something that uh, I did in my past church, which was had those infamous initials, IBT. I would like for you to take the hand of the person next to you and join me in saying our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the mind is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now please bless these tithes and offerings for the work they will do in his name. this morning is Luke 21, 5 to 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you 
and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you the words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. to have our faith when we're up on the mountain, but then things change and we find ourselves down in the valley, but God is the same God in all of the circumstances of our lives. We can depend on that. I know they're corny, 
but I love corny. <laughs> I love the I love a good good news bad news joke. We laugh at them because of the element of surprise, but uh, but also because most of us can probably relate to the scenarios in them, and they kind of appeal to the cynic within us that just expects that the world will work like that. Good news and then bad news. A young man calls his dad at work, and his dad says, Sorry, son, I'm, I'm, I'm up to my neck in work today. So the son says, But I've got some good news and some bad news for you. And the dad says, Okay, but since I only have a, 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 just, a, just a little bit of time, give me the good news. And so the son said, Well, the airbag works. <laughs> A gallery owner says to an artist, I have some good news and some bad news for you. And so the artist asks, what's the good news? And the gallery owner says, well, the good news is that a woman came in here today asking if the price of your paintings would go up after you die. And when I told her that that they would, she bought every last one of your paintings. And the artist said, wow, that's great. What's the bad news? And the gallery owner said, that woman was your doctor. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Hard crowd today, I'll tell you. At the famous Lloyd's of London insurance company, um, there is an historic bell that is sometimes referred to as the bad news bell. It seems that in 1799, a large frigate, the HMS Lutine, set sail from London headed for Hamburg, Germany. Hamburg was facing a financial crisis at the time, and the Lutine was loaded with gold and silver, intended to to help stave off a financial collapse in Hamburg. But unfortunately, a great storm caught the ship by surprise, and she sank somewhere along the the Dutch coastline. Of the 240 crew members on board, only one survived, and all of the Lutine's cargo was lost at sea. Well, in 1858, some divers found part of the wreckage of the lutein, including the bell that had hung at the front of the ship. And so the bell was turned over to Lloyd's of London, who had insured the lutein's original trip. And the folks of Lloyd's of London hung that bell up in the underwriter's office, and they started a new tradition with it. You see, for many years, whenever a ship was late in arriving at its destination, a Lloyd's employee would ring the bell once to let all the brokers know the bad news. But then if the missing ship arrived safely, the bell was rung twice. The good news followed the bad. Well, in our scripture lesson for today... Jesus had to deliver some terrible message, or some terrible news to, their, to his disciples. But he didn't deliver it in the good news, bad news formula that we are accustomed to. You see, Jesus told them the bad news first and then told them the good news. And the good news was that God had already planned to help them persevere when events in their lives and their future became painful and chaotic. Jesus and his disciples were standing in the temple courts at this time, and his disciples couldn't help but to remark on how beautiful the temple was. And indeed, it was an awe-inspiring sight. The temple courts sat on 36 acres of land. The giant stones that made up the temple were dazzling, blinding white marble. And over some of the stones, there was gold plating that reflected in the sunlight. And and from a distance, the whole complex looked like a glowing jewel. And up close, it probably seemed like the most impressive building in the Roman Empire. But Jesus had the sad task of telling his disciples that this magnificent center of Jewish life and faith would be destroyed. 
This would be an event that would, would be even more traumatic than the fire that engulfed the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris last spring. Because the temple was the very center of the Jewish faith. And not only that, but, Ju- but Jesus also told His disciples that they would experience persecution and violence because of their commitment to Him. Life would be turned upside down for them. Life as they knew it was going to fall apart. The bad news. In verse 6, Jesus says, As for what you see, you see this temple as for what you see. And I think that those are some powerful words. And the reason I think so is, is because it is so easy for us to put our faith in what we see. It's so easy for us to put to anchor our hope in the things that we can see and touch and own in this world. It is so easy for us to be impressed by appearances and by possessions and by symbols of security, even though some of those symbols are superficial and in some cases not even real. We put our faith in our IRAs and 401Ks and we feel secure in our financial stability and suddenly the stock market crashes and our financial future looks precarious. We put metal detectors and bomb-sniffing dogs and machines and submit ourselves to intrusive pat-downs at the, air, at the airports because we are afraid of another 9-11 And then something tragic happens anyway. We have children practice active shooter drills like we did fire drills and and nuclear drills because we are afraid of what can happen. And in doing so, we make them afraid. And like we learned this past week, shootings happen anyway. We build walls around us thinking that it will make us safe from whatever boogeyman we may be afraid of. And we hide behind gated communities and multiple locks and hidden cameras because we are afraid. But bad things happen to us anyway. My friends, Jesus knew that it is fear that motivates us to put our trust in things that we can touch, things that we can see, things that we can own. It is fear that motivates us to put our trust in worldly power and physical possessions. We find security and significance in our homes, in our church buildings, in in our appearance and possessions. And it is worry that leads us into chasing after any false prophet or guru who comes along promising security for us and significance. But it is a promise that cannot be kept. It is a false sense of security. Every year, hundreds of runners from all over the world compete in the Boston Marathon, a 26.2-mile test of endurance and strength. Blue lines are painted on the pavement in the roads of Boston to show the runners where they are supposed to go. But one year, on the night before the race, a prankster painted other blue lines, which would have led the runners into a dead end. Fortunately, the deception was discovered just before the race, and the event, the event was run on schedule. But you know, just like runners following the wrong path to the finish line, Jesus knew that some of his followers would stray away from their faith under the pressure of fear. He knew that fear and worry lead us to an increased desire to control our lives. And an increased desire to control our lives causes us to turn our focus inwardly instead of outwardly. 
And when we do that, we become even more fearful than before. And when we are afraid, we want to hold on to to what is ours, what we are accustomed to, and what gives us that sense of security in our lives. But the thing is that when we do this, it rarely diminishes our fear. Indeed, it only serves to increase it. So what do we do? Well, like the song was sung just a few moments ago, the solution to fear is to trust God's plan, no matter what the future may hold, no matter whether we are up on the mountaintop or down in the valley. We put our trust in God. Jesus said it beautifully in verse 14. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. I think that's interesting. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand. God will provide your words. God will provide your needs. Vernon Jordan is a lawyer, civil rights activist, and a former national director of the Urban League. In 1980, a man tried to assassinate Vernon Jordan, and, and afterwards from his hospital bed, Jordan told his pastor that he had a vision that he died in this shooting, and all of his life passed before his eyes, and there was one message that kept coming back to him as he looked over his life. And it was the message that his mother put at the end of every single letter that she ever wrote to him. And that message was, remember, son, if you trust God, God will take care of you. As he lay in that dark pool of his own blood, Vernon Jordan found great comfort in those words. Remember, son, if you trust in God, God will take care of you. Bishop Fulton Sheen once said, all worry is atheism. This is a little challenging here. All worry is atheism because it demonstrates a lack of trust in God. Wow. So why is worry a form of atheism? It's because it stems from a a focus on earthly things, on security, on on self-protection. It's rooted in a self-centered life, and it denies the fact that we are not God's only children. And there are times when we need to let go of our own security, our own things, our own way of life for the sake of some of God's other children. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he he cast a vision of, of a heavenly kingdom in which all people from all nations would find identity and security. And to a large degree, the people of Jesus' time, the Jewish people of, of, of his time, took their identity and their security from that beautiful, magnificent temple. But Jesus took his teachings outside the temple. He went into the streets. He went into the fields where the average Joes and Jills were barely hanging on, barely scraping by. He took his message to the lepers and to the women and to the Samaritans and to the tax collectors and to the poor and to the foreigners. And and in the book of John, he shared a secret with a, a despised Samaritan woman. He told her that worship is no longer confined to the temple, but that a time was coming and what has now arrived when true worshipers will worship God in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. In our lesson for today, Jesus is reminding us that all earthly earthly things that we put our trust in, guess what, folks? One day they will be destroyed. Because the kingdom of God is not something that we can touch. It's not something that we can see or own. The spirit of, it is the Spirit of God working in human hearts to bring about holiness and justice and righteousness and peace until the day arrives when Jesus fully establishes His kingdom on earth.
But folks, here's the rub. Before the Spirit of God can come alive in our hearts, we have to die to ourselves. Hudson Taylor was a British missionary to China and the founder of one of the most effective missionary organizations in the world. And on the matter of fear and worry for the future, this is what he said. He said, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, all that we have right into God's hands. And then when we have given all to God, there will be nothing left for us to be worried about. Folks, we deceive ourselves if we, plus, if we place our trust in earthly kingdoms and temples built by human hands. The security that they offer is not real. It's not permanent. Jesus told his disciples that the majestic temple in which they trusted would be torn down. He told them that their fellow Jews, their loved ones, their family members, the people that they trusted the most would turn against them and persecute them for their, for their faith. Every earthly kingdom, every tangible thing in which they put their trust would be torn away. And they would know that the kingdom of God is the only sure foundation for their life. Because the kingdom of God is eternal. And it will never fail. So when we are surrounded by hard times and persecution... And when all that is tangible in our lives are, is falling apart, how can we keep from giving in to fear and running down those dead-end roads? Well, Jesus tells us to look at our suffering as an opportunity to witness to God's truth. How would it change your life if you looked at every setback and every failure and every loss or heartbreak as an opportunity to share God's goodness and faithfulness? And more importantly, how would it change the lives of everyone around you if you, if you turned your suffering into an opportunity to, to share God's glory, God's good news, a message of, of, of hope for others, even in the midst of your difficulties. Jesus promises us in this scripture that God has already prepared to, to defend those who believe in God. God will give them the words that they need to share their faith with conviction. And he tells us that if we stand firm, we will win our lives. It's a promise from an eternal and faithful God. And, and we can bet our whole lives on it without fear, without failure, and without regret. Diet Iman and her boyfriend Hein were Dutch Christians who hid Jewish citizens from the Nazis during World War II. And they knew that they were risking their lives, but their faith in Christ compelled them to protect these innocent Jews from persecution. In 1944, Hein was arrested and sent to Dachau concentration camp. Diet was arrested soon after that and sent to a, a different camp. And, and even though she, she suffered greatly in the camp, she continued to trust God and trust in God's promises for, for protection. And she even took a, a hairpin and she scratched Jesus' promise from Matthew 28 on the prison wall. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Diet was eventually liberated, but Hein died in prison in Dachau. Fellow prisoners reported that Hein radiated the love of Jesus Christ in that concentration camp. They said he provided hope for everyone around him. And before his death, he wrote a final note to Diet. And this is what it said. He said, Darling, don't count on us seeing each other again soon. Here we see again that we do not decide our own lives. Even if we won't see each other again on earth, we will never be sorry for what we did. 
that we took this stand and know yet that of every last human being in this world, I love you most. Think about that. Here we see again that we do not decide our own lives. And even if we won't see each other again on this earth, we will never be sorry for what we did, that we took this stand. Folks, as hard as we may try, we do not decide the fate of our own lives. We don't. And sometimes that's the bad news. Jesus knew that this truth could cause his followers great fear and anxiety. And he knew that it could lead them to follow after false gods and stray from their faith, to stray from the truth. He knew that this was a, was a possibility when he delivered this bad news to them. Or it could lead them to decide beforehand to trust in God. And to see any suffering that came into their lives as an opportunity to share God's goodness. And ultimately, that leads to good news. Indeed, it is the greatest good news imaginable. That we are really not in control of our lives or our destinies. But the good news is that whether we're up on that mountaintop or down in our valley, a loving God is continually, steadily working in this world and in our lives, exerting God's influence, and every good thing in our lives that we have lost will eventually be restored. And we will live life more fully and more wondrously than we ever imagined. So folks... Trust in God. Put your trust in God, not your things. Not those things that give you a false sense of security. Those walls will fall. And then what will you have to depend on? You can't depend on them. Depend on God. Amen. Let's sing our closing hymn. <laughs> it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, isn't it? Isn't it? We have to trust in our Lord because we can trust in nothing else. God, as we leave this place, we praise you for giving us life, for meaningful work, for food, for shelter, for our families, for good health. We thank you for giving us a, 
a big vision for this world and for the energy to work towards making this vision a reality. If we lack for any good thing, bless us with the courage to do what we can and the faith to leave the rest in your hands. We trust you, O God. Thank you for being trustworthy. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.